you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue our series here through Matthew's uh, Gospel. Matthew 13, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Just a few days ago in my own personal uh, devotional reading through, at this time, the book of Isaiah, I came to chapter 45, verse 18, which reads these words. Uh, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. Uh, God created the world. He created us to be filled, to be inhabited ourselves. And we saw last week in Matthew chapter 12, in one portion of that uh, chapter, verses 43 to 45, Jesus teaching us about this evil spirit that departed from a man... And then tried to return to enter the man, but could not because this man had swept clean, emptied, put in order his house. A picture of his own life. It couldn't re-enter. But because his life was empty, the house was put in order, it was empty, uh, the evil spirit went and got seven more evil spirits and entered into that man and filled him with Wickedness. It was not enough to clean up his house or put in order his life. He was going to be inhabited. He was going to be filled by something. That's what we were in part made for. Something's going to fill our lives. Something is going to inhabit us. And here as we come to Matthew 13, we learn what it is that is supposed to fill our lives. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Listen now to God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, but when, the, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. 
Well, for those of you who are uh, sports fans, particularly of, of baseball, you know full well right now uh, several uh, Major League Baseball teams uh, are in the heated midst of the playoffs. I believe that's the case. I don't follow it closely. Uh, I won't ask whether you're a Red Sox uh, fan or a Yankees fan, but I want to point out one very unique aspect or feature of the game of baseball, and that is the signs that are given by the first or third base coach. If you, don't who, if you don't know who this person is, this is an individual who stands outside the baseline at first base or third base and communicates nonverbal signs to his team. Strange signs, really. He may tap his wrist to his elbow three times, and that actually is communicating something. Or he may tug on his ear, he may twist his bill a few times, and that's actually communicating something. So with these signs, he's telling the batter whether to bunt or to swing away. He's telling a man on first whether to steal to second at the next pitch or to stay on base. But the most important thing is that while the sign is concealing information from the opposing team, that same image, that same sign is actually revealing information to one's own team. The same sign conceals a message from some and it actually reveals it to others, reveals something to others. This is one of the reasons Jesus spoke in parables. This is what we've read. The disciples asked Jesus why, in verse 10, do you speak in parables? He says this, To you it has been given to know the secrets, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Verse 13, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they don't hear. Here. And he draws from Isaiah, the very text we heard earlier in the service, Isaiah 6. Quote, you will indeed hear, but never understand. See, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. The same message, the same parable serves to bless those whose hearts are receptive. And to judge those hearts that are hard. The same parable, the same message, the same words. This is insider language, kind of family talk. The secrets of the kingdom. If you've ever been at someone's house, a friend's house, and perhaps there are family members gathered, siblings, and they start quoting from movies or quoting from books or using particular phrases, you don't know what they're saying, but they seem to be understanding one another. It's family insider kind of language. Jesus is using insider language, and he's doing so to reveal the hearts of people. That's what he is doing in proclaiming the parable, in proclaiming the word, to reveal whether someone's heart is hard and dull or soft and receptive. It's revealing it. That's what God's word does. We're told that in Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God is living and active, and it judges the intentions of the heart. It discerns one's heart. And here in chapter 13 of Matthew, as we enter into these parables, there's seven, just in this chapter alone, six of those seven all are centered on the kingdom of heaven. Jesus began announcing at the beginning of his ministry back in chapter 4, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They are about the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of Christ here on earth. So he's giving us a sense of them. 
Uh, There's a repeated phrase through this chapter. Look at verse 24, beyond our text. He put another parable before them, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 44, 45, 47, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so the parables exist in great part to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing we see is that a central work, or perhaps the central work, of the kingdom is sowing. Sowing. Verse 3 of our text. A sower went out to sow. Interestingly, it's not a farmer. Our family usually reads the text on Saturday night that I'm going to be preaching on, and we usually read from one particular Bible, and it's the NIV, the New International Version. I noticed last night it said farmer. The ESV, what we have in our, in our pews, is, is, is closer to what the Greek is. It's a sower. The same word for, the same root word for sowing, we see in the sower. It's not a farmer. It's not a laborer. It's not a worker that Jesus specifically identifies. It is a sower. Now, as far as I know, there's no position or title on the farm sower. If there was, that'd be what I'd want. Just, you know, it's pretty simple. Sowing is really only one aspect of a farmer's work. But this individual that Jesus identifies as a sower seems to be that's his only work. Exclusively, that's what he's doing. There's a lot of work to be done on a farm. I know when I was a young boy, for a short time, I wanted to be a farmer. Until my mom told me what time you would have to get up each morning, every morning. Right? There's a lot to be done on a farm. Plowing, tilling, repairing, fencing, breeding, depending on the farm. More repairing. So, why the focus on sowing? Perhaps because there's nothing like the potential in that of a seed. The seed we learn from verse 19 later in the chapter is the word of the kingdom. It's the word of God. And this seed, this word is living. It has potential to produce tremendous life. Much fruit. And for us, friends... In our lives and in the world, there's nothing that has more potential to produce life and fruit than the grace and Spirit of God at work in the Word of God in a person's life. We notice also that the sower is not stingy or meager or frugal at all in scattering the seed. Verse 4, as he sowed, some fell along the path, some on rocky ground, some among the thorns, some on good soil. There may be a doctrine, I've often wondered, of frugality in the Christian life, living a frugal life, but it is not here. It is not here. Sowing the seed, preaching, teaching, hearing, reading the word, sharing the word, exhorting and encouraging one another in the word is not to be a frugal kind of work. The picture here is that The sower is sowing seeds, it seems like, everywhere. It's going everywhere. If you have planted your own garden before, usually it's probably somewhat manageable. You can effectively break up the soil, till it, create a nice furrow, 
And one by one, you can kind of intentionally and evenly space each seed. That is not the picture here. The seed is scattered. It seems to be going everywhere. Which means this very important point. The sower does not prejudge the soil. He does not prejudge the soil. That's not his concern. Though some seed falls on good soil, we learn, the one who hears this parable should not infer that Jesus is advising sowers to only sow seed in healthy, right places. Places where there seems to be promise of a good crop. For one, we are often not great judges of soil in human hearts. And two, you and I do not make the seed grow. We cannot make the seed grow. God has the final say. This is what Paul said to the church in Corinth. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Mere servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And one of the points, one of the applications behind the parable is that God's not calling his people to produce an outward success in their service, but really to learn an inward faithfulness, a faithfulness in sowing for all of us. It's God's work to grow things. It's the sower's work to sow generously. And then what Jesus provides are four different responses that human hearts and people have to the word of the gospel, the word of the kingdom, the word about who Jesus is and what he is bringing. Verse 18 and 19, just beyond our text, tells us that the soil is the human heart and the seed is the word of God. And the first type of soil that the seed lands upon and that is mentioned is the hard heart. The trodden path. Verse 4. It says, As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. What is this path? What defines this path? How would we describe it? This path upon which the seeds cannot seem to get and penetrate or sink in. Jesus tells us later in verse 18 and 19, This person hears the word but does not understand it, and the evil one snatches it away. What do we know about paths? They're worn. They are worn down. These are places that are hard. Places upon which people have walked, trodden, worn down. Perhaps he's describing a person whose pains or bruises or scars in life have gotten the best of them. They themselves have become hard. Paths are not places that receive seed. They're places that receive feet. Right? Feet. One commentator said this, The soil is unfruitful because its orientation is wrong. It receives the activity of people and not the activity of the sower as the main occupation. It receives the words and activity of people, but not the activity of the sower. Think about this. Every day, all across our country and many parts of the world, news stations, 
Newspapers are filled with headlines and articles full of almost every type of story going on in the world. Except the story that's most important to us. The story of God's kingdom. The story of the gospel and how it is being worked out in and through this world. It's the top stories in the world that often define man's worldview. The path, the interests of man's life. There's no room. The path is already worn. It's already hard. The world's narrative is the story for many people. There's no room for the Word of God. This may be how some of us feel. The path is hard. We, want, we need the ground to be worked up, softened, so that the Word of God can sink in. The second soil is in verse 5. Other seed, he says, fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And with no roots, they withered away. Jesus spends the most amount of time on this particular soil in describing the soils, this rocky ground. Uh, Three times he repeats these words, they had not. They're missing something. He says they did not have much soil in verse 5 and 6. Again, since they had no depth of soil. And then finally, since they had no roots. The soil is simply not deep enough for roots to form, to produce a plant, to produce fruit. Later in verse 21, Jesus tells us and describes this person. This is a person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Just like seed that quickly sprouts life. But something happens. Difficulties come. Trials come. And so he can't persevere. There's no roots. The faith is simply too shallow. Uh, One author entitled this soil the superficial profession. Because there's an apparent faith. It looks like there's faith. It looks like it's taken hold. In fact, in Luke's account, chapter 8, verse 13 of Luke, Jesus says this, They receive the word with joy, and they believe for a while. He's willing to say they actually believe. They have that much of an apparent faith. Perhaps this is a person who is initially joyful, excited. They've connected to Christians. Perhaps they've joined a church. Their immediate needs have been met in their lives. They're happy about it. But they've not realized that instead of true repentance and trust in the gospel of Christ, instead of a new love for God that runs deep, instead of perseverant commitment to the people of God, They've simply drawn to a set of circumstances that happens to fit and work in their lives for this season. Things are working out for them in the here and now. For now, their emotional, their social needs are being met. But what's the problem? They have no roots. The roots are not there. They're not going to withstand hardships and trials. The Word of God has not gotten in deep enough. Uh, Many of you have been to to our home just last week with the open house. Many of you came, and like many of you, we have a home surrounded by trees. And in my estimation, some large 
trees. I've watched those trees sway at times in the wind. And I thought, thought to myself, if one of those fall, it's going to be a tremendous fall. But there's one thing that gives me a good amount of confidence in those trees. Roots. Right? Some deep roots. Uh, the rocky ground gives us warning here. Is my faith being strengthened because the word of God is getting into me deeply Or is my apparent faith being built on a set of circumstances? Circumstances that can be blown over by the next trial or hardship in life. The third soil is that surrounded by thorns. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. Again, later in verse uh, 22, Jesus says that while this person hears the word... It's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word out. Because the place of God's word and gospel is not prominent, it's not central in shaping this person's heart, other things begin to dominate. There's other interests, there's other passions. They choke out, they take over. I would encourage you either today or later this week in discussion with others, which of the soils do you think most describes the culture, the ungodly culture in which we live. The rocky ground, the hardened path, the thorns. I'm inclined to think it's, it's the thorns. We live in an affluent culture by and large. There are so many opportunities to pursue. Interests and passions. Is there any place really for the word of God, for people? It's just choked out. C.S. Lewis, in his work, Mere Christianity, gives us, I think, some helpful words. He says, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions, to Christ. That's why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people don't usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, the Word of God, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. May God's Word and Gospel take center stage in our lives. But then there's that one heart, there's the one soil that produces fruit. This we pray, this we hope, is what defines us as the people of God. There in verse 8. Other seed fell on good soil. It produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is the only seed that becomes of any use to the sower. Because it's the only seed that produces any fruit. It yields a hundredfold, sixty, and thirty. In Jesus' day, a typical yield, it's been noted, would range between fivefold and fifteenfold. I read elsewhere that even with modern farming and equipment and methods, the average U.S. wheat yield, this is in the 1950s, was between fifteen and twentyfold. So this is thirty, sixty, hundredfold. This is abundant yield 
to extraordinary yield. But here's what I want us to see about this image. The seed, God's word and gospel, in coming into contact with the soil, does something. It does something. The seed is not merely examined, thought about, studied, and considered. It is that, for sure. But the picture is the seed getting into the soil and as a result, beginning to produce something. There's fruit being produced. The seed is not only understood, it is received. And something happens as a result. The fruit, it's not the result of the hard work and hard labors of the soil, but how the seed is working in the soil. This is what Paul said to the church in Colossae. We thank God that when you received the word of God, you accepted it as God's word, which is at work in you, believers. There's the picture. The word is working. The word is at work in you. By God's grace, in the right soil, it brings and produces Fruit, patience, joy, peace, kindness. But I don't think it should be limited to the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of sacrificial living. The fruit of proclaiming the Word. Of bearing one another's burdens. We want to be not only students of God's Word, we want to be mastered by God's Word. It takes, takes root in the heart. Secondly, while the focus seems to be in the parable on the hearer, we ought to be challenged by the need for sowing. Are you a sower of the word? The church of Christ needs not only hearers, but sowers. Not only on Sunday, but in the week, in the coffee house, in the home at the workplace, at the bus stop. The sower is generous. The seed is plentiful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the word of the gospel. We thank you for your grace and spirit placing that word within us and by your mercy causing it to take root. We pray, Lord, that we would even examine ourselves, both as hearers of your word, but also as as sowers of your word in the lives of others. For there are needy, hungry, needy, desperate souls in this world. We pray that as we live live, uh, to proclaim your word and to make it known, that it would indeed uh, fall upon good soil, Lord, we entrust that work to you. And do that work, Lord, within us, that it would dwell richly in us and produce fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And that we might rejoice and give you glory as you do this. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.